seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless show, with Aaron and Rohit World. It's a hopeless show, with Aaron and Rohit World. What's up, Rohit? Aaron, how you doing, brother? Man, this this week, this episode is, I think, our most important yet. Uh, we have an amazing guest, W.E.B. Du Bois' grandson, the uh, activist Ar- Arthur McFarlane. He's going to be joining us. And what better time to have someone with that kind of pedigree and that kind of family uh, lineage than... The one of the founders of the NAACP's grandkids on right now. Uh, I'm really excited about that. I I also know that we have we had something at the beginning that I think people will surprise some people. So I want you to get to that before we get into our show and then get to Arthur. Yeah, you guys might have heard a brand new theme to kick off this week's show, and that's right. We finally have our own non pirated, fully licensed music. Um, <laughs> And we'd like to thank uh, our listener and friend of the podcast and professional uh, jingle and theme creator, Dan Fogarty. Um, so, Dan, thank you for your for your work on creating a theme that we're totally feeling. And it is now the part of our show. So uh, for all of your jingle and theme needs, uh, reach out to Dan Fogarty. But regardless, I'm really, really excited for a fresh start to the show. Um And then for some of the things that we are going to talk about. Yeah. And to Dan, I just, you know, as a man who has written such intros for shows from all in the family to family ties to Big Bang Theory to you name it, this man has done it. And now to do our show, we are just honored. Yeah. And for the listeners, he did not really write those. But uh, but Dan, we'll uh, we'll back you up in case uh, anybody asks and, you know, get you some more uh, some more business out of it. Our business. Um, <clears throat> that was a that was a false promo, false fake news. So that the intro song news is fantastic. I'm I love this song, and uh, I hope you do too. So, with that being said, now I got to tell you a little bit of other news from the quarantine that isn't as uh, flattering as the new song. News from the quarantine. You know, Killer Mike, right? The, of course. Uh, the Run the Jewels, uh, one of the two leads of that group. Slash activist. Slash big time activist. And he gave this amazing speech uh, in Atlanta that was so heartfelt. If you haven't seen it, look it up. Killer Mike's speech was impromptu. It was about eight minutes and it was moving beyond belief and powerful. And so I had an incident that wasn't so powerful in the quarantine with regard to Killer Mike, I was watching him on Stephen Colbert, I believe. He was a guest. So I was very interested to hear what he had to say more after that video. And so I'm, I I start watching him and it's at night. I'm in bed. And then I hear what sounds like a the, a, the f- a fire alarm of my condo is not, is like beeping loud, but in the other room. I'm like, uh-oh, the fire alarm's beeping. What's that about? 
So I wait a minute to see if it'll happen again, and then it happens again, and I'm entranced by Killer Mike and what he's saying. He's really just dropping knowledge after knowledge, and then the beep keeps happening. So it's like Killer Mike knowledge, then beep, then Killer Mike knowledge, then beep. So finally, I have to pause it, and I have to go figure out what is going on in the other room with the fire alarm. What's not working? Is there is there some carbon emissions that are happening? I don't know. So I go look, and it looks like something's fishy. So I try to unplug it. And then I'm I'm unplugging it and then the entire alarm goes off and I'm in a condo building. So the, the, the whole thing goes off at about midnight, 1230, the entire thing just goes, we we have a fire alarm and it's so loud. So it's definitely being heard by people in the building. And so then I'm like, Okay, wait, I can't unplug this, actually. This doesn't unplug anymore. It's a newer fire alarm, so it doesn't actually unplug. I don't know how to stop it either. So then I just start pushing lots of buttons because I figure that's usually what makes things stop. It didn't. So finally, I figured out a way to hold something down so it paused. And I was like, okay, I think we're good now. Go back in the room, put back on Killer Mike, and I keep watching, and then I hear it again. I'm like, wait a second. When I played the interview, it started again. But when I turned, got the fire alarm to turn off, it stopped. Wait a second. And so then I stop it and then there's no more beep. And then I turn on the interview and it happens again. And I realize that that alarm is actually in Killer Mike's house (laughs) in the distance. And I thought it was in the distance of my place, but it was actually in his place on the TV. And I caused all this commotion during the quarantine for zero reason, except I just was stupid. <laughs> well, you just did what my, uh, our chow chow dog named Lego does every time we're watching TV and there's a doorbell in the show that we're watching or in a TV commercial, Lego just goes full on Cujo and starts barreling for the door. (laughs) Lego, this is a TV show. Stop. So yeah, you kind of did that. Um, So, so does that mean, cause Lego, I like Lego. Lego is a great dog. Does that mean you're comparing me to a dog to Lego the dog? Yeah. And you're my dog. So yeah. Thanks man. I, to be be compared to Lego is an honor. So thank you. Uh, now this may, that makes me feel better. So speaking of feeling better, I know I sent you a video this week. Yeah, you were the first person to send it to me. Yeah, this is. This I, is knew, a, I knew it piss you off. So let's yeah. uh, start with your talk. Your first hope. Yeah, this topic. This, this is uh, this is something that I I thought we were beyond this, um, but the celebrities have done it again. They released another video. This time, it was again White Hollywood. Getting behind camera, this time in black and white with a ring light, looking deep into the camera. And this time they weren't singing a horrible rendition of a Beatles song. This time they were apologizing for all the microtransgressions to actual racist behavior that on behalf of all white people um, and apologizing to the black community. While the intention is understandable. The intention is strong. My goodness, was it tone deaf. 
First of all, they were all reading as if they were, you know, it was off a script or boards. You could see their eyes just like jumping beyond the camera, just kind of see, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying next. And second of all, it looked like they <laughs> felt hostage. Every time they went from one new celebrity to the next, I was just, I was like, oh no, not Jesse Pinkman. Oh no, not Mark Duplass. No, not <laughs> you. you. You know, like Justin Thoreau, like why? These are like actors that I really like. Um, and Such was, white actors too. <laughs> oh my God, it was just so painful. I don't think that they actually ran this by a person of color to say, no. hey, listen, what do you think about this before we post it? Because what they were doing <laughs> is they're making the tragedy of George Floyd uh, there and the whole Black Lives Matters movement that the entire world is participating in, they decided, you know, it's time to make that about ourselves. It's time that even the, the campaign, it's titled, I take responsibility. And like, and I think it's a hard emphasis on the I more than taking responsibility. And it's just like, guys, what are you doing? Um, and it was, it was, it was, I honestly, I will admit I couldn't finish the video. So I have not seen the whole thing yet. It was even harder to watch than um, Gal Gadot and her friend singing Imagine. Um, and yeah. so Aaron, I thought celebrities learned. I really, really did. What happened? Why does this keep happening to us? <laughs> um, it happens so that you can write a second Guardian article about it. <laughs> Um, no, the, I, all right. So here's some hope. Uh, Dave Chappelle yesterday, a man of color, uh, he released a, a new, a bit of standup, actually the first live performance with social distancing that I didn't know was happening, uh, in the country. And it's about a 30 minute thing. It's on YouTube. It is fantastic. And in that special, one of the most famous comedians of my life, of our lifetimes, uh, he rips on this concept. And so what was, what I think can provide you hope is what he said, is what Dave Chappelle said, who it was so ahead of his time on what his comedy did uh, for, to make fun of, you know, wh white idiocy and in the black movement. Um, and the Black Lives Matter movement. And so what he said, he actually used Don Lemon, who also did a, th did a thing where he, Don Lemon on CNN called out all the celebrities, where are you? Where are you to speak your voices? And what Chappelle said about this is, we, meaning him and others, the ones, we're staying silent for a reason, because look on the streets. That's what matters. What I have to say, what someone else has to say, it doesn't matter. He did a great 30-minute comedy special on it um, that mainly wasn't funny. It was more serious. But he said that in a way where he's like, look, I'm really famous. I could be doing a lot, but this isn't a time for me to do a lot. This is a time to acknowledge the people out there and what they're doing. And so I think him saying that, which is going to get, I'm sure this thing's going to be viewed a ton. It was released late last night. I just happened to watch it, like when it got released. Uh, 
I think it's going to transform some of that. And he called out Don Lemon, who immediately by this morning had responded and said he totally agrees. So uh, it's good to see people basically doing what you started, Rohit, and and backing the idea that these voices aren't the voices that matter. Not that they should be silenced if they want to say something, but to put together some hokey video. That is so not now, and it should never be again. It's just like, what was it? We Are the World? Were they yeah. all sang that song? All right, yeah. I like that. That was cool. I wasn't and, really around and for, for it. for its but time. It, and We Are the World for, for its, its time. time. Yeah, it made sense because there was no social media. There was no internet. There's no way you were getting activists. Uh, uh, you know, they were, they, you know, people on the ground, you weren't getting their airtime. It was the celebrities were the ones that owned the airwaves. So they, so by them enlightening people, that was great. But now you literally scroll down your Instagram, you're still seeing, you know, like the, the pictures that are coming from protests and like all the shares, like linking to black authors and black restaurants. And that's coming from regular people. Right. So you don't need the celebrities to, to play again, that voice, that moral voice of God. And and, and no. I think a, there's a term for this, especially, you know, when the when some of the actors were like pausing in between words and putting their hand on their heart to really make emphasis. It was such obvious acting. And, you know, it's a form of performative protest. And that is so insulting. So, so infuriating. No, it's horrific. It, it was, was it was it was. Uh, an abomination of what this movement is about. And that's why I'm glad what Dave, Ch- I hope it gives you hope and we can hope gong it, that it, that what Dave Chappelle did, who is one of the more influential voices, um, what he did by sh- shooting it down completely will resonate because most of these people will end up watching the Chappelle stand, the Chappelle bit. And they'll be like, Oh gosh, I don't want to be that. I hope. Yeah. The, uh, you know, I'm glad that that you know that he's a he's a person that is sort of like really shaming other celebrities because this is shameful behavior. And I do have hope because, you know, I think there was almost nobody that enjoyed this most recent video. And I also, you know, and because I'm like a lot of people are saying, guys, yeah, it's really cute that you made this dramatic video in black and white and it was like overacted, but like, you know, maybe you guys should spend your time protesting maybe you guys spend your time donating doing something productive for the movement versus making this video when you everybody else has already like taken things further than them and done more important stuff than them so um what is good though there were a few people um that did participate in the video that um i believe it was was it Kristen bell um that has actually done a lot in terms of donations and raising awareness um, for Black Lives Matter. So there are some people that were in this video like, okay, cool, you, you get a pass a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I have hope that we don't need people like this anymore. And the internet was so quick to ridicule it. Um, and that celebrity pain brought me joy. Um, <laughs> and so, so there's yeah. double hope gong. There's absolutely double hope gong. Um, I don't have my gong open on your end, but if you want to, if you want to slam. There it is. Can you hear that? Yeah, there yes. it is. And I'm double it. Thanks for bringing your gong. I brought my gong. So oh. now that we've heard that, uh, so Kate, so Rohit, can you guess? Because this is called Guess the BTS. Can you guess what the Black Lives Matter movement and BTS had in common this week? Well, first of all, uh, the K-pop fans 
um, have been overtaking all the anti BLM hashtags, you know, where white lives matter, or all lives matter. Um, they've been overtaking it with lots of K-pop dances and gifts and, you know, yeah. links to videos, which is great. But I do know that BTS this week donated a lot of money to the black lives matter mo- movement and their army matched it. So you are more in touch with BTS and I'm a new hope gong that cause man, our, both of our, you know, one of our favorite groups and you know more about them now. Uh, that was the best you've ever done. <laughs> There's one added piece that they did that, that you didn't get to, but Ooh. you were pretty damn close, which is that, uh, some of the stars of BTS, some of their, their most popular, um, artists, are also coming out about to acknowledge the, it, it says that they acknowledge the debt owed to African-American culture for the music that they make, how a lot of it stems from African-Americans and their music. And yeah, I the thought that was also jazz, very yeah. cool uh, that they gave that acknowledgement because it's one true and then they backed it up with action. So go BTS. We love you. You're awesome. And uh, now, speaking of BTS, since we hoped gonged that, we're going to go to topic number two, uh, which is me. Uh, Are you ready? I'm ready, Aaron. So, defund the police has been a big chant at the rallies I've been to and in general on TV, and then it's become controversial. What does it mean? And so on and so forth, right? And... uh, the current president has gone after it and saying how stupid it is and that how could we defund police? We need our safety and the police are great and all this stuff, right? So you've seen a bit of that. Oh, I've seen a lot of it actually, yeah. So today I decided, because I don't know really how to shut up, I decided to see what was trending again <laughs> on Twitter And because my opinion of defund police, I'm going to it'll be a part of this. Uh, I saw that Donald J. Trump, the real Donald Trump is is his Twitter handle. If if in case you didn't know, Uh, he is real. Apparently, Uh, he, he wrote, do you think suburban women want to defund the police? I don't think so. So I wrote back to uh, Mr. Mr. Trump. And I said, pause for a sec while I pull it out. Pause, pause, pause. Oops. So I wrote back to, uh, Donald and said, I don't think you know what defund the police in quotes means. Let me help. I'm one who always wants to help. Let me help. It is a push to reallocate those funds into social programs to help better society and give police more knowledge, reposition, and have police not need extra dough to act like the military. So what happened next was kind of what happened with Dan Bongino, but a little less. So what I didn't notice is that a guy named Mark Thiessen was actually who said that and Donald Trump was quoting him. So then Mark Thiessen went after me. 
And he is a Fox News correspondent, of course. So he went after me this morning uh, and said something mean to me about how I don't know what I'm talking about. And so then I said to him, oh, he wrote, defund the police means defund the police, you idiot, I believe is what he said. And I said, I agree that defund the police is a slogan and not a great one either. Just like shit happens doesn't mean that poop isn't just randomly coming out of everywhere. The man I was explaining to, Mr. Slogan Prez Dude, didn't seem to get the policies behind the slogan, meaning defund police. So I was comparing defund the police to shit happens. They're just slogans. And then I actually came up with, I I believe, a better slogan, which is reform the police. So it's both reform as in reform what they're doing and reform, like have them do less so that they're doing the things that they should be doing in the first place and not just killing innocent people, for example, for the bad ones. So it gave me a little bit of of, of uh, hopelessness, Rohit, because, well, once again, this happened. I, people's words don't hurt me. Um, and a lot of people went after me. That Mark, uh, Mark guy retweeted me and stuff after the president again had tweeted him. So I don't know. These, these things happen a bunch. But what was crazy was here are some of the responses. And it again made me think, man, how much are we progressing? Because this, this wasn't, this was just trying to explain. Uh, someone wrote, geez, thanks for clarifying. What complete idiots we all are for not knowing what the word defund is. By the way, you're a jerk. That was to me. Uh-huh. Defund means defund. Police means police. Quote, unquote, how fucking dumb are you to me? And the list goes on. So I got a lot of that this morning. And so I'm asking you, Ro, it because to me, I one said this isn't the best term in the world. I also was trying to explain it so that people could understand it. And including from that Mark guy, I just got bombarded. And it just made me feel hopeless because I thought, man, what? there's just no listening going on, no matter what. Yeah, you know what? I, I will admit, I think the term defund the police is horribly marketed. Um, I don't yes. think it's I don't think it's a great name for a movement um, because even the first time I heard it, a few weeks ago, I was like, uh, the, the, like immediately what you think of is, you know, there is crime that happens out there. And the first thing that people will jump to was like, well, then who the heck is going to like, you know, even if you get rid of the police, there's, that doesn't mean you get rid of crime. Right. Exactly. And I think the reaction from the people is that they, I think you have a horrible name for a movement. Defund the police. It sounds more reactionary and it sounds crazy. You have to really dig into it to understand, okay, there are a lot of parts that make sense. Um, Did you the, see that's what I was trying to do? Oh, absolutely. Do? Absolutely, yes. And and I think that this movement, similar to Occupy Wall Street, is going to suffer from a, I think, just really poor marketing. Um, you know, Occupy Wall Street, you thought it was just a bunch of like people sleeping in tents outside of Wall Street, um, which it kind of was. Um, <laughs> but... Um, with the defund the police, there's a lot of nuance. And really what is important is in the nuance. What is being accepted is what's in the title. And in the nuance calls for not a complete elimination of police departments, but lowering of funding 
Um, so police are not held responsible as part of their duty for uh, things like nonviolent crimes and, uh, you know, or, you know, if it comes to like assault and if it comes to, uh, you know, stealing cars and all that, of course, you're going to have police, um, you know, domestic abuse and things like that. Of course, you'll have police. But when it comes to things like, you know, arresting kids or carrying around like, you know, like a gram of weed. No, that's no longer in the police scope, right? And so, like, what it is, it's 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 about reducing the amount of things the police have to do, therefore reducing some of the, reducing some of the funding, and then reallocating that towards community uh, sort of led initiatives that can treat things like drugs as a health problem versus a crime problem, and. Oh, yeah. In the same way that we address obesity and the same way we address cancer and so many other things, drugs are a problem, um, but they are not a crime problem. They shouldn't be. Um, and that is that to me is something I understood. I can get behind. But my first gut reaction was like, excuse me, you want to get rid of police? Like, that's just stupid. Um, because then, you know, you have to go down a path of, okay, then who then, then that means if you get rid of police, that means you automatically have to increase the second amendment. Um, and you know, more people that need to have guns and then that introduces whole new problems. And then where do you put the bad people and that, that doesn't get, but the, and there are still some people that completely want to eliminate police and completely want to eliminate prisons. And I think that's Looney Tunes. Like where do you put the racists and the rapists and the, the murders and the bad people that do things without police and without presence? Like, I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, that's Looney Tunes. And I think that's deserving of some harsher reactions, but the true merit of the, of the defund the police is not about taking away all their funding. And I think that's, so yeah, that because what you just explained Rohit is exactly, you know, I didn't have that many characters to do it, but that's what I was writing. Like the, just like this, like if you take shit happens literally without looking into what it actually means, Oh, shit's happening. Shit. We're just going to have poop everywhere. But that's not the case. We're not getting rained down with poop. It's just bad things happen. That's what it really means. Bad things happen sometimes. Just like this phrase, which I totally agree, is not the correct, the right terminology. But the meaning behind it, what you just said, totally is. And what what was was hopeless to me was just that there are just a group of people that will not listen beyond the blatant rhetoric, like make America great again. And then defund police. Oh, screw that. Like, so... I guess what your hope is, is the movement, as long as it changes, like I think reform the police makes a lot more sense. It's still yes. chantable. And it's, you can say reform the police. It's reforming. So we're saying we want change, but we're, it's not about money. And uh, the money is just part of it. When you reform it, there will be less money involved in it because the money will be reallocated to other places. I think we'll also dive into this more with Arthur. Um but uh, in the when we talk to him, but I guess the hope is just I'm glad you explained it further for for me and for everyone, just so we can get a better knowledge of it. And the people who just won't listen and just stick to slogans and that's all they care about. Well, then I guess America is great again for you. Yeah, I mean, really, that's that's a lot of the the, the reason we have so much like harsh rhetoric in this nation is because we have turned into a world that is reliant on headlines and not actual news right whether it's just make america great again or if it's black lives matter anybody can interpret those to however they want without context yeah. and 
the the and I think that nobody's reading the articles, nobody's reading the nuance because you have to pick a side, and you got to pick a team, and it's all about the, what team you're on. Um, and it's it's that that's where we're at. But I do get hope because I think it's again, it's been people on the ground, you know, that have been sharing what this actually means. I'm tapping through my Instagram stories. I'm like, cool. There's a definition of what defund the police means. And it's, you know, so I think it's, it's almost like normal people are sharing the nuance while the news organizations and the, the political leaders are only sharing the headlines, which is kind of the world flipping on its head. Which is just, yeah. And, and I guess, and also these Fox news guys, even though I've been on Fox news delivering my message and they were cool with it. But man, these guys, at least a couple of them, seem to really not like me at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, maybe I'll be on there someday again delivering my message. But I hope you do, Aaron. Like, I hope so. I hope so. Um, right now, doesn't seem like they're they're in love with me. But whatever. Hope Gong, that. Thank you. That was a good, and it's it's a great bone. It's a great Hope Gong lead into our very special interview and conversation with uh, Arthur McFarlane, who I'm going to dive deep with him and he's going to give the listeners something that is, is truly special. I mean, the grandson of WB Du Bois, we are honored to have activist Arthur McFarlane with us. I'm lucky to be joined by Arthur McFarlane, the grandson of WB Du Bois, who was a founder of the NAACP. Uh, Grandpa spent a lot of his life trying to educate folks uh, about what it meant to be black in this country. Uh, He was born in 1868, so a few years after the end of the Civil War, uh, and did uh, his work all the way through 1963 when he died. He died the day before the March on Washington. And so when you look at that breadth of 95 years and the things that he was trying to do, um, there was a lot there. There was a lot of change. There were a lot of move, movements in uh, the way we have our society structured and the way it operates and the rest. But clearly, we didn't get to where we meant to get, even though uh, during that time frame, uh, through the Harlem Renaissance, we had a lot of things that, that went well. Um, a lot of that got reversed uh, before we got to the 1950s and the 1960s. And then we had another push and a lot of things got done uh, and then some of that got reversed or, or, or people got uh, a little too comfortable with uh, making change and pushing the change forward and so here we are here we are in 2020 saying some of the same things that we we said in the 1920s uh, when langston hughes wrote about a dream deferred in the 1920s he was talking about exactly what we're going through today so uh, you're absolutely right. When we talk about justice and we talk about equality and we talk about the promises that this country made to us when it was created, I don't, I don't think we've achieved that. I mean, it's clear we haven't achieved that level of, of promise. Can we? Yes, we can. And we have the, the, the inflection point, if you will, right now happening that allows us to begin to articulate better what we really want this country to look like and what we want it to be. Yeah, what is the fabric? What is what what uh, your grandfather fought for to um, be a founder of the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People? And what what my grandfather fought for, which was interfaith so that all people of all colors and all races can come together to have dialogue. And 
So they were both fight, you know, the concepts were the same. The problem is what they were doing, you're, you know, from the early 1900s through their, their deaths was, is for, for many reasons, I, more at the forefront now than ever. And the change is more obvious that we need to have it more than ever. What do right. you think, um, these last number of years and then these net last number of weeks, what do you think has been that, that collision of all this to lead to what is going on now and how much people seem to be unwilling to shut up anymore? Well, I mean, I think there were a lot of things going on for many years, uh, going back, you know, literally going back 400 years, many things going on that were, were dissatisfying to folks. I, I think when you talk about and you listen to uh, Sojourner Truth or to Frederick huh. Douglass or to, um, you know, some of the folks during that slave period to Harriet Tubman, uh, you listen to the orators of that time. I think you hear in different words the same things that you hear Booker T. Washington then saying uh, to follow them up and, and Du Bois and Grandpa saying, uh, you know, to follow Booker T. up. And then you, you hear the voices of the Harlem Renaissance and you hear the voices of Martin Luther King and, and um, Malcolm X and Huey Newton and uh, Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, mm -hmm. You hear all of these voices, Rosa Parks, uh, the, the Little Rock Knight, we, the list is, is endless. Uh, and they, they were all expressing in, in, in an essence, the same kind of frustration and the same demand for humanity and the same demand for respect that you're hearing Black Lives Matter and all the organizations that are that are out protesting today. And so the, the fact that we are still <laughs> saying in essence, the same things that we've always been saying is I think the real reason that you see people speaking out now is because they they just got to a, a boiling point, right? A lot of these frustrations and things get um, tamped down in many different ways, but you really, you really can't keep the popcorn in. You can't. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out. Um, Langston talked about it as a dream deferred and, and talked about it exploding, um, you know, but it, it, it does process through for a long time. If you go back to the 1954 Brown versus Board of Education decision, you'll find an amicus brief called the social scientist statement attached to that in which Kenneth Clark, Isidore Chine, Stuart Cook and some other folks talked about if you don't really start to, to move into desegregating schools in, in the right way, you're going to end up with a lot of dissatisfaction that could in, ultimately result in riots and, and uh, a lot of upheaval. And so I think there, there are a lot of co collapsing and contrasting and uh, debating viewpoints that are finding their way into the discussion. And when you combine that with our current ability to communicate instantaneously yeah, with one like another, that, yeah, you just, you, 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 you really create a crucible in which people feel like they have to step up, step up and step out and, and voice their perspectives, especially if those perspectives aren't heard and recognized, which I think is a critical part, a critical part of what we need to do going forward is making sure that we hear and see 
those those different voices because when Booker T. Washington led, um, it, it, you could kind of talk about black people in a monolithic way. Um, when Grandpa came along, he talked about two-ness and double consciousness, and he started started to push those boundaries, and and black people started pushing boundaries or, around all kinds of different issues, so that you you couldn't talk about us in a monolithic way. And they <laughs> this this the hundred years that have we grown since then has only complicated that right um so when i sit back and i and i think to myself it's like you and i are talking we're coming from different perspectives but we're bringing our voices to the conversation what about conservative black voices uh you know my aunt on my father's side uh, was a black republican one of the people who started the black republican uh, party here in the united states she was an undersecretary for housing and urban development in the nixon ford era and was a friend of ronald reagan and ronald and nancy reagan's and so you know even within my own family we've had these conflicting and, and and my aunt and i didn't really conflict that much but we had different perspectives right and those perspectives are still out there and we need to bring as many of those perspectives to the conversation as we can otherwise all we're going to do is create another group of disenfranchised folks who feel like they're not heard and in 20 years or 30 years or however many years they too will bubble over so now's our chance. Now's our chance to bring as many voices to the table as we can, because we have the tools. We've got we've got all the tools we need to, to communicate, even in COVID-19 times, uh, with one another and get these, these perspectives heard. And what you just said about how it's not monolithic, it's not just, there's not just one thing going on here. There are rich African-Americans, there are middle-class and there are poor. There's you know, people running country, companies and there's people on the streets. So how do all, there's Republicans and Democrats. How do all those collective voices get heard? Because whether you're to me and to me, we've we've discussed this a little. The the whole concept of divisiveness based on political party to me is antiquated. That just makes us fight. And a lot of these issues, most of them, and people in politics are trying to politicize them. They're not political issues. They're human issues. That's right. They're simple human issues. And that's why, as you know, the we did the, the we're doing the logic party, which you can follow right. it. The logic party on social media. I think it's the logic party in the number one, too. But the whole concept of this is not left, not right, but logic. And the logic right now is that we have to come together for the human issue right now. And that's why it's great to see people from both parties, you know, former uh, almost president and Senator Mitt Romney marching in the Black Lives Matter movement yesterday. So it wasn't about politics. It wasn't about a political statement. It was him going because of the human issues at hand. And that... From him to whoever, you name someone on the left, they're marching together in solidarity for humanity. I think that's a, a really important point is, you know, how do you educate folks if they can't see that right now? Uh, because I would not want to cast them aside as much as I would want them, want to find a way to, to, to see from their perspective, how do we get you to see within your perspective what it means to to be 
open to these kinds of conversations, open to these kinds of perspectives and open to the way that we, we bring that about, to bring that kingdom that grandpa talked about about. So to me, it is, it's about having the conversation. It's about uh, going, reaching out to folks. It's about listening. It's about speaking your own truth and, and being strong enough. And, and that's one of the things, interestingly enough, you were reading from a thing that grandpa called Credo. And uh, another part of Credo talks about um, not letting your voice get lost, but, you know, standing up for what you believe in and not allowing it to be diluted in ways that, that don't serve you. And so I think everybody needs to bring those voices to the table. But I think they, that the thing that has been missing in, in some of these conversations is mutual respect. I'll go back to the, the social scientist statement that I mentioned earlier. One of the things that they talk about is the need for mutual respect and liking. And what they were talking about, by the way, in the social scientist statement was how should desegregation in the schools happen? And we are still talking about that, number one. And number two, um, I think they, the, the things that they were talking about apply to this inflection point. We need to have some mutual respect. We need to develop mutual goals. How do you do that? You have conversations. You expose your vulnerabilities. You expose your needs and wants. And you talk about the things that mean the most to you. And as people put those meaningful things on the table, you look for communality. You look for the places where people are essentially saying the same things, maybe different words, but the same essence. And I believe, and this is the reason that, that I feel energized about our conversation and about the, the conversations that are going on outside in our culture right now, is I believe there is a, a central area in these conversations where we believe the same things. We're saying them in different words. We're saying them in different energy levels uh, because of our different levels of frustration or whatever. But we're saying we want some very similar things. John F. Kennedy said it. When he talked about, you know, we have the same desires for our children, and, and, and we really do. We have very similar goals in very, um, you know, nuanced ways, perhaps, but we can find that common ground, and we can talk, and we can continue to, to expand that common ground into places that are, are really important. Now, I just said, in, in you know, a handful of words, some very, very, very complicated things in a very complicated system that is funded in a particular way right now, that is run by a particular group of people right now, that is really broken in many ways by a lot of people's perspectives right now and needs a lot of work. People, when I, when I say this, and I've been having these conversations for decades now, really start to feel overwhelmed. And I don't blame them because it's big. But what I want people to really hear from, from me today and from us here today, because I know you believe this too, is that there are ways to break this down into individual responsibility that, and accountability that we can each take, actions that we can each take. Each of us can be a part of our communities in ways that are meaningful and that bring about the change in a sustainable, measurable, long-term way. And all of that is important. Everybody has a role. And, and even if you don't feel like you can fulfill all the roles, because I don't think anybody feels that, fulfill what you can do. Add your voice to the conversation. And I think by doing that, we can get to the change that we're seeking. I guess before we 
go to just calls to action and end at least this portion of this discussion that's going to continue because every day things change. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you, because you said that you, you know, have been someone of privilege. You've also been someone who's grown up and has been your whole life black. And my knowledge of that is there isn't a black man I know or woman I know who hasn't been affected by, in their life, by moments where the color of their skin negatively defined a moment in their life. And so to you, Arthur, I ask just you as the person, if there's a moment that you'd be willing to share, because yes, there's been privilege, there's also been these moments in your life, I am guessing. Uh, and if you'd be willing to share one of those moments, because I think it's all about, you know, I, I had a swastika drawn on my locker um, in, in uh, junior high or high school. That was not good. That was negative. That hurt. As a black man, again, not trying to compare the two, what, is there a moment that stands out for you? There were a lot of them, as you might imagine, as I'm sure you've had uh, a number of them in your life. And um, it's sort of hard to, to, to pick one and, and say, yeah, this was a, a bad one. But let me pick one and say that there were others that I could have picked in, in, in describing. Uh, I went to undergraduate school in a little small town in upstate New York called Brockport. And uh, the college there was started out as a teacher's college. It was only about 10,000. It's a town of about 10,000, so a small place. Um, and because of my leadership style, I, I was elected to, to be uh, the treasurer of our student government in my junior year. Um, and I, because of that, I was developing relationships with the leaders of the town, talking to them about what the college was doing, talking about what student government was doing in relationship to the townspeople. And so I really started to feel like, hey, I, I'm getting to know the mayor and the city council people, and, and I'm really feeling like I'm, I'm a part of this little, this little place here. But then I'm walking down the street one day, headed to the record store, and a school bus goes by and some kid, I don't know, kid or kids, I don't know, I couldn't quite tell, you know, yelled the N-word at me from the bus. And of course the bus just continues down the street. So there's no no time for me to react. There's not, no time for me to educate. There's no time for me to, I just have to absorb it and, 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 and understand or try to understand what just happened to me. Um, what did I just go through and what did it mean um, and luckily for me, I did have outlets. I had places that I could go, people I could talk to, including leaders of the city, to be able to say, you know, this happened to me and it was, and it was very painful, it was very hurtful, and I didn't think I lived in that kind of a place. Um, but it sounds like I, I, I may, or I do, at least for some portion of the, the people who live here. Um, and so it, it's, it was hard. It was hard to, to kind of take on. But Herein lies something that I was talking about earlier. If we can give people a sense of success and we can really bring them into our society and help them develop some internal resilience and give them tools and resources to go to and use when these kinds of things happen, then they don't have to be slapped down and stay down. They can get up and they can move forward. 
And I truly believe it's that that getting up, that resilience, that bouncing up off of your face or off of your knees and, and moving forward in a constructive way that is the, the key to to anti you know re, you know resisting and 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 responding and surviving anti-semitism or racism or sexism or homophobia or any of these things that we are we are fighting against and uh, you have to have that inside you if you're going to be able to transform it into constructive action for yourself and for your community and you know i, I want to say that i am so sorry that that happened to you. That's, I can, cannot imagine what that must feel like, but I know it must have hurt, as you said, so much. I also can't imagine what George Floyd went through and everything in between. And I think that's where we, we need these calls to action for everyone listening and to share Arthur's message and what we've been talking about Keep sharing it, spread these words, because that's doing something so that everything from that moment in college for you to what has happened to George Floyd now stops. Mm -hmm. And what stops. happened to you too, Aaron? I mean, I, 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 I have a, a ton of Jew Jewish friends because I went to a predominantly Jewish high school in New York and... <laughs> You know, I can look back on when I was a freshman and didn't have any idea what Jewish culture or Jewish religion was about. And I gave my buddy, uh, Stephen Greenspan, in my home homeschool class a, a Christmas card. And, 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 and Stephen, to his credit, you know, if you're out there listening, Steve, God bless you. You, you helped me in ways that you <laughs> never imagined because he laughed. And he took my card. He didn't reject it. He came back the next day with a Hanukkah card for me and educated me what the <laughs> difference was and what he was about and how those religious ceremonies were, were, were respected, but different and separate in their own ways. And it really is that kind of sense that gave me a way to then look at the Holocaust differently, to watch the, the movies about those times and to see differently what we were really fighting against and fighting for in World War II. And so it, it's truly, truly, truly been an education for me in having um, Jewish friends be so very patient with me and explaining and describing and teaching me the words and what they mean and why they're important and the holidays and all the rest. But that, it, that part of my life then allows me to look at you and say, my God, what what were people thinking to draw a swastika on your locker? What drove people to that and how hurt that must have been, hurtful that must have been for you to see that and respond to that and to have people, your friends around you going to you, hopefully, and taking you in, the, your, in their arms and saying, I'm sorry for this, and having the administration of your school address the issues. Hopefully, those things happened to then re, re, in, reintegrate your sense of the school that you were in into something positive. Well, so what you said about you and your friend and the cards being exchanged, to me, that was an instance of both of you taking a knee 
and saying, look, we hear you, we hear, we hear each other's mistakes, how trivial they might be, yeah. and we want to learn more from one another. Mm -hmm. um, my, my specific incident, the principal's reaction, and I quote, was, but it's just a small swastika. And that's okay. that's what she that's what her response was. Jeez. So that was the the opposite of of the leadership we're we're talking about. Exactly. And uh, and that's what we want to stop. We want these these blatant acts of of uneducated um, naivete naivety. Call it so, what it is, Aaron. It's hatred. hatred. It is. It is a lack of understanding. It is a. It is a clear um, way of saying to to you, you are other. You don't belong here. You are rejected. Who you are is rejected. And that is nonsense. That is exactly what we're fighting against. And to have someone in a position of power, make it about the size. No, it's about what does that mean? What is that symbol? mean to your people what does that symbol mean to you as an individual and how you fit in to the school that you're in and clearly uh, just a total ignorance about any of those kinds of parameters and building a constructive place right yep. you gotta give people the tools to build that constructive space and build that crucible that from which we can grow into a, a better society, a better democracy. I mean, you go back and you, you read historical folks talking about democracy and the republic, and you understand that this is an experiment, and you understand that we're practicing yeah. and we're, we're stumbling and we're, and we're moving forward. Um, I want people to, to understand we are moving forward. We're not stuck, that we are trying to make a change in this inflection point that takes our democracy and our republic to a new place. Um, I, I just I just want people to to believe in that. And I want them to to take what happened to you and what happened to me and and say, never again. We don't want that. No, and, and that's why I mean this is the the Black Lives Matter movement. And it stands for so much. And we are in this together, you and me talking right now with everyone who is uh, watching and listening together. We are in this together to progress and to continue the American experiment on a progressive journey towards success. And for everyone who who wonders, I think, what what they can do now until we re-engage in the conversation on this show and and in general, um, going forward, you can write to both of us. I'm the Aaron Wolf on social media and uh, ask me a question. Say something you disagree in what we've talked about. Uh, you can also uh, follow the Logic Party, which is the Logic Party, um, because it's, or the Logic Party and the number one, because that's what, that stands for what we're talking about here, about not dividing, about coming together and about eliminating hatred. And then also... And I think, Arthur, it's something that you've already said. A big thing you can do is, on the national level and the local level, support the people that you believe in that want to make your city, your town, a more hopeful and better place for, for you and for, for your family and for society. Mm -hmm. And vote. Voting is, is a way that everyone has been given that gift 
as uh, your grandfather was quoted as saying, people fought for that right. Use it. Yeah. Um, and then also to teach, right? And you've said this too. Continue to teach. When you learn something, tell someone else. Yeah. We all are teachers. We all are learners. We're all listeners and we're all teachers. And we can continue to teach and learn at the same time. And uh, I think making sure that if you see a person, as you said, a quiet person in your community, mm -hmm. make sure they know their voice matters too. Mm -hmm. And I think finally, and you can talk about this, also donate money to the person or the cause that might matter to you that you feel can invoke change. And do you want to just talk about that before we we end about about that these calls to action and donating to if you again if you have the the five dollars the fifth, whatever it might be to to do that right now which i know is it's a tough time right now yeah I mean, I, and i think that donation can doesn't have to be money it can be the donation can be bringing your voice or bringing your talent or your gift forward um if somebody said to me you know, draw a picture of a family, I would be doing stick figures, okay? Yeah. But I have friends who are very talented and tell a story. You tell a story in this medium, and and we all have these, these skills and these gifts. If you can't donate money, donate your time, donate your voice. Really go out and look for places in your community where you can have an impact, where you can make a change in the right direction, in the direction that you believe is a direction of your values and your beliefs. I really think that we all have that. We all have that space, and it's just a matter of going out and doing it. And so with that, I think let's keep this conversation going. Let's keep everyone doing your part waking up every day during this pandemic, during all the craziness going on. And if you do one thing positive, like we're talking about, I believe it's a successful day for everyone. So with that, um, we end and we can't wait for everyone's comments and com and, uh, and con to continue the conversation. So thank Absolutely. you. Godspeed from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, my brother. Arthur is, is somebody that, uh, you know, I hope we get to hear a lot more from. We need it. We need yeah. his voice. Yeah. So uh, he's a voice Arthur. of reason. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Arthur. And now it's time for that segment of our show where we talk about television. And there's a lot to be hopeless about and a lot to be hopeful for. So we're Aaron and I are going to sort of top what's been on uh, our top of our TV's minds over the past week. Yes. So I'm going to, I have one that is important. Uh, I decided to watch, rewatch the film Dumb and Dumber a couple days ago because I just felt like, based on some of what's going on and uh, what you hear on TV, I thought this would actually be a more educational film to rewatch than a lot of uh, the rhetoric that we hear on uh, on TV. So I watched Dumb and Dumber, and what was hopeless for me, but also beautiful, was that the movie actually like reminded me of what our country uh, could be, which is a little bit like... Like there wasn't racial stuff in it. It wasn't about, it was just about some dumb guys doing dumb things. And I was like, oh yeah. Why, when we can get to that, where we can get through the progress of what's going on and what needs to happen now to a place where we're just dumb and dumber and we're just 
living our lives again and everyone has equal rights and stuff. What a great place that will be. Then I felt really stupid because I'm like, wow, I'm actually using Dumb and Dumber in my thought process for society right now. And so then I decided I'm going to watch a more intellectual film that I haven't seen in forever called Tootsie, where Dustin Hoffman plays a female uh, actress because he can't get a job as an actor. And once again, I saw a lot more hope in this film than I do in in the arguing and, and stuff that's going on in society right now because what it showed in the film is that this woman, when he was a man, he didn't have the same cachet and rights and power that he had when he was a woman. And he got to learn to respect the female plight a lot more in that. And I was like, wow, that's super progressive. And that was movie was from like the late seventies. So I'm like, Oh man, these two movies that are comedies actually have more hope in them than much of what we see now. So I felt pretty hopeless that I turned to these films and they're no. the things that gave me hope. I don't think you need to feel hopeless. I mean, heck I, one of, one of the things that I always look back at is fresh Prince of Bel Air. So the nineties, was a time when it's funny. I think you almost saw the most diverse programming on television, right? You had Family Matters starring a black family on TGIF, and then on NBC you had uh, uh, a, a you know Fresh Prince, and that was really pro progressive show because what that did it took again a black family lead, and it was it placed them in wealth. Right. And it addressed racial issues. It had addressed just black stereotypes and just how that there are like that black Americans do not exist in, you know, as a monolithic stereotype. It had so much personality from Hillary to Ashley to Carlton, you know, to Will himself. And like it talked about real stuff. And this is the thing every family of every color sat down to watch that show. And it was without, even thinking it was like, I think one of the great unifiers of our younger years, you know, um, as we're growing up and it's almost I'm hope like, gonging this. You just, I feel so much hope now. I'm, uh, yeah. so I'm like thinking of the song right now, boom, I'm hope gonging. Yeah. It's so the, the classics, man, I think they hold a lot of hope and we can go back to a time. And that was, you know, I think a time when at least American TV was great. Um, so Cool, and I and I have I have some uh, some greatness also going back you know to the late nineties now through the two thousands. Uh, <laughs> I got HBO Max or rather my HBO Go was, was upgraded to HBO Max. Um, yep, and I've been watching the Studio Ghibli films for the first time ever. Things I've been meaning to do, you know, they're never streaming everywhere. You gotta like, you gotta kind of go out of your way to find them, and now you can finally stream them all in HBO Max. And um, man, huh. I, I I watched um, my neighbor Totoro. And that was oh, really magnificent. I, I, I just, you know, that was my first foray into it. And I just started on uh, Spirited Away. Went into anime and the whole yeah, thing. Uh, I, I definitely loved anime, um, but I've never watched the Studio Ghibli films. Um, and oh, just okay. like, it's like, it's, they're like the Disney of Japan, yep. right? And it's just the terms of like, even just the subtle little things like hair flapping in the breeze or just like little things, kids running to close the door, but then they forget something and running back like little tiny moments that are usually neglected or skipped out. It captures the tiny details, the little details so well that brings life to everything in, in these films. So I, I am loving every second of this journey and I can't wait to watch all 20 something uh, studio shipping <laughs> films that are on there. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling super hopeful for TV this week. 
Yes, because what we are saying is watch things that are from before, not now necessarily, and you'll feel maybe more hope sometimes. And exactly. so, so with that, uh, let's do our our everyone's favorite segment. The mayor of Temecula was f- fired for sending a fairly racist emails to a couple of his constituents back when they asked for help. And so he was fired. And then he was replaced by a councilman whose name, I believe, is Councilman Mark Nagger. <laughs> Go. <laughs> um. Is this even appropriate for on air? Um, it's just truth. This is actually yeah. what happened. You can't make it up. No, truth is stranger than fiction. Um, I don't. I guess I don't even. Aaron, I don't have an answer for this. I don't even know what the hopelessness is. This there's a lot of it in there. <laughs> All right, so. Basically, this is just, there's no fulfillment here. It is just a hopeless situation. There is no hope gong. Uh, it's just what, like that. It's just a lot of bad things. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, All right. We'll do better with the next one. That yeah. Is just, yeah. We'll do that. That is next simply one. truth, which is crazy. And, truth sometimes is unanswerable. And the next story is also out of California in its city, Tor- in the city of Torrance. Um, and this is about Park Ranger Patty, a woman who was captured, gone viral on uh, this earlier this week, where she was having a racist tirade over two Asian Americans that were working out in the park using the stairs, uh, a small part of a large section of stairs to work out. She's freaked out of them and got super racist. And then because it went viral the next day, somebody else else had an encounter. It's like, oh, my God, I also had a racist encounter with that lady in the same park that same day. And then she was just screaming at an Asian guy, telling him to go back to his country, going ching chong and saying the most horrible stuff um, to him, impersonate him and like and saying that like, like really horrible things. So um, my hope doesn't come from that. It it. I mean, my hopelessness comes from that, but it also comes further that a lot of the comments on Instagram and these places were people actually saying, and I'm going to go over the 60, I apologize, um, were people actually saying, oh, listen, she is, uh, you know, she, you know, she's ill, you know, she's probably not well, thoughts and prayers for her. I hope she gets better. It's like, oh, all of a sudden we're peaceful and thoughts and prayers and I hope she gets better when it's racism against an Asian person. And that to me was like, it's like, no, everybody should be as up in arms about this woman as about any other racism that we experience. And I just, so my hopelessness is about the peacefulness about the reaction to this horrible bigot. I think uh, the real quick answer is partly what Arthur was saying, which is we cannot appeal to everyone. Everyone is not going to understand. He's not going to come to the other side. It's just not going to happen. But as long as we can get the awareness out that that people like this exist and she will get fired, I've seen the video, um, then we're at least moving in the right direction because there are people who are going to be racist. They just are just like there are people who just suck and they just do. But at least because of video, we can capture them and get them fired. Yeah, you're right. And, and that is a hope there. It's that citizen journalism. And there is a little bit of hope that I did see this morning was that a whole bunch of people in Torrance all wore black and went to the park because one of the things she was being racist about, she's like, <laughs> how can you even wear black in the California sun? Are you an idiot? So there's hundreds of people dressed up wearing black workout gear in the park, in the same park. This racist lady was. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Let's yeah. hope gong it. Yes. 
And, I and then the not... final one yes. is going to be a quick one. Uh, right. Final hope in 60. Ready? Let's do it. The Republican National Convention. Uh, Trump wanted it moved because they wanted people to social distance and to and and stuff. They wouldn't move it. So what they decided is to do it in two locations. One location in North Carolina where they wouldn't allow a lot of people. And then he's also having where he gets the official nomination in Jacksonville, Florida, so he can go do it at the stadium that holds 15,000 people because they'll allow it so that he can get a lot of loud cheers. Give me hope. Because that sounds like a five-year-old throwing a tantrum. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the one hope you can feel is that it um, he's going to have to do a lot of explaining once there's a whole second wave of coronavirus coming that, that that's traced back to his rallies. So um, it'll at least be uh, – it'll make for a more interesting November when he's got <laughs> to backtrack on what he caused during the summer. There was fake news. I never had those rallies. All the rallies were fake. Everything is wrong. I mean, I'm perfect. I'm obviously perfect. Jacksonville's perfect. It's just the people there. They didn't have the right. They didn't have the right antibodies like I have. Coronavirus is good. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, all right. Great hope gong. It. That is a great hope gong. <laughs> yeah. The hope gong. I invented it. So with user submissions uh, this week. We are going to take a pause. We had some nice submissions. I really want to focus the submissions on thoughts that you might have about what Arthur said, because what he said was so poignant to me and to Rohit and to, I hope you, and I, I would love to hear your thoughts, positive or negative, agree, disagree, and then we'll we'll try to bring hope and answer those questions and things we didn't cover, things that we didn't get to that we can elaborate on more because we're here to, to bring hope to the things that are hopeless. And I know Arthur would love to hear about them too. So now we'll go into uh, the end of the show and hope fulfilled. And one thing that was cool that happened with uh, this week, there was some hope fulfilled that a bunch of people protesting in DC started singing lean on me, the song which when Bill Withers died, who wrote the song, I said, this could be like the quarantine song. It could be the song that becomes like the song of the of the now. And I had no idea at the time that we'd go through a, an entire Black Lives Matter movement that was more important than ever in social justice and social change. But the idea that the song is now part of this movement as well Bill Withers, rest in peace, and thank you for giving us your amazing artistic talents because, man, do we need them now. So thank you for that. This episode was very important to me. I'm glad you all listened to it. Share it with your friends. And also, uh, if you are enjoying what we're doing, go up afterwards and rate the, the podcast. There's like a one to five stars kind of thing because it'll just make us feel good. Yeah, and, and it'll, it'll help the show. It'll hopefully, you know, get more listeners on the important topics that we try to cover. We think at any time in our lives, it's always important to bring hope. And we're hoping we're bringing just a little bit of that to you. So, um, yeah, you know, if you do like the show, uh, go ahead and rate it. Um, we'd be really grateful. Leave a comment. That even helps us even more. Yeah. So uh, thank you guys. And thanks, Aaron. What a great episode. And I can't wait to do it again next week. Um, I'm sure there'll be more to talk about that we need to solve. Yes, there's never a lack of things. And never. thank you all for listening. And 
He's Vohit for Rohit on social media. I'm the Aaron Wolf. You can read all about these people attacking me. And uh, all love, all logic to the logic party. And thanks to Dan Fogarty for our new song. Da, da, da. When the world seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore, here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless soul, with Aaron and Rohit world.